Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7? And while you turn there, I'd like to give you an update on a few things. First of all, I'd like to thank all of you for your prayers, for me, for our family, and most specifically for my dad, who we call Pops, who has been a foundational part of this church. If you're here and you're visiting and you don't know, uh, last week we received some very devastating news that my father has been diagnosed with multiple myeloma and that he has terminal cancer in his bones. Multiple myeloma is cancer of the plasma cells and blood is created in your bone marrow. So the cancer is pervasive throughout his bones, throughout his blood, and we're in need of a miracle. So I want to thank you for those of you that have prayed, that are praying, and that are lifting us up. We were in Michigan last week, and we were on our first family vacation, just the four of us when we got the news, and the news cut me. And I sat at the table at this place in Michigan, and I wept before the Lord. If you don't know, there's a difference between weeping and weeping before the Lord. When you weep before the Lord, it's when you engage the Holy Spirit as you weep, and you give your pain, and you give the burden to God. There are a lot of people that are weeping constantly over things, and they're not healing because they're not inviting Jesus into those broken places. So I sat and I wept before the Lord about the devastating news, and I immediately began to invite God in. And as we got more and more information, it seemed as if the more information we were getting the grimmer things were looking. A lot of the information we were getting back, the scans, the bone biopsy and other things, it was all negative, it was all bad. And so we chose to leave Michigan and we drove back to Indianapolis. Taylor and I got on a flight the next morning at 6 a.m. and we headed out to North Carolina to see my father who was in the hospital, who has since been released from the hospital and who is home and we're awaiting more information. He's in need of your prayers. And so in light of that devastating news, in light of the gut check of hearing that my father has cancer, I want to preach a message to you today called God is good. I want to tell you that God is good. I want you to feel it in the depths of your soul that God is good. God is good because God is good. God is good because God is God. And God is the standard of goodness. See, the devil plays games, and the enemy has a role in the earth. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And through accusation, the devil loves to accuse God to you and accuse you to God and accuse others to you. And his role of accusation is to distort and pervert the character and nature of God, so that you and I don't see Him rightly. So I'm going after the goodness of God with cancer as my backdrop because I can't think of any other better time to preach it. Because God is good, because God is good. Let's look at Matthew 7, and we'll get into this. This is the words of our Lord Jesus talking about his father and teaching us how to pray. Matthew 7, I'll begin in verse 7. We're going to look through verse 11. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. 
Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Did you notice that it's not just ask, seek, and knock? We're supposed to ask and expect to receive. When you ask God for things, do you expect to receive the answer to your prayers? See, Jesus tells another story about someone who didn't persevere in prayer and therefore they lack. But God teaches us that when we pray, we're to persevere. We're to ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. Because if you're willing to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking, it must be something of great value to you. How many of you are thankful to God for unanswered prayer? <laughs> Prayers that, you, hey, thank God I didn't marry her. <laughs> thank God I didn't get that job. That boss turned out to be a devil. When we ask and when we seek and we knock, therein lies our view of God's goodness. See, some of us, we don't ask God for things because we don't expect Him to give us anything. Because we don't understand the goodness of our Father, we won't seek Him because we think He's hiding from us. Because we think that God is playing games with us. And so we lack in our prayer life and in our devotional life because there's no exchange between us and God. See, ritual is what kills prayer. Do you know what prayer is? When we teach our kids to pray, we don't teach them a formula. We don't teach them to repeat something. Our little David, he's almost five years old. Daddy, what do I say? Whatever's on your heart, son. Because that's what God wants to hear. Say, well, God already knows. Yeah, but He wants you to talk with Him. You short-circuit the relationship that God wants to have with you as your Father when you don't ask Him for things. You short-change yourself. So Jesus is teaching, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. So we're supposed to expect to receive, believe that we'll find, and contend for our breakthrough. Can I tell you with all the love in my heart, one of the primary problems I witness in people's lives is that you give up too easily? Discouragement itself is a lie. It's based upon lies. Discouragement floods our souls when we focus on the wrong things. When we become fixated on the problem rather than the solution. See, the enemy works to pull our eyes down and to say, hey, look over here. Look at me. Here's some more bad news. Here's something else that didn't go your way. And all of a sudden, our filter and our perspective of life begins to be distorted and broken. There are some people who have become so fractured by their own lives and much of it by their own sinful choices that things are so broken that they cannot see the goodness of God in their own lives because they won't humble themselves and do it a different way. Let me tell you something. Pride blinds you to the goodness of God. Gratitude 
is what opens our eyes to His goodness. God's goodness right now is all around us. God's goodness manifests in our lives every moment of every single day. We need to begin to ask and seek and knock on the goodness of God. God, I'm asking that you would show me your goodness. I'm seeking to know the goodness of your heart. I'm knocking on the door because you said, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. And I want to know your goodness for myself. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf of bread will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, would you say how much more? How much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? I want you to write a few things down so we can all be on the same page this morning. Number one, I already said it. God is good because God is good. God is good because God is good. That's number one. You need to know this from the depths of your heart. We've got them up here on the screen for you. God is good because God is good. And God's goodness permeates everything that He says and does. This is His essential character and nature. Did you notice what Jesus called us? Go ahead and say it. It's good for you. Evil. No, I'm a good person. How many people do I witness to? I'm a good person. I just want to be a good person. I'm just going to be a good person and I'll get into heaven. No, you won't. Our standard of goodness and God's standard of goodness are a million miles apart. There's a vast chasm between the character and nature of God and the character and nature of us as fallen human beings. So God is good because God is good. It permeates everything that He says and He does. God's goodness is meant for us to experience in our lives. God is a good Father, amen? And when Jesus revealed Himself as a shepherd, He characterized Himself as a shepherd as the good shepherd. And in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 20, when the elders of Israel are recalling the faithfulness of God to the nation of Israel, they say, God, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. So the word of God tells us we have a good father, a good shepherd, and a good spirit who is instructing us all the days of our lives. But what's the problem? Why do we have so little of God's goodness within our own souls? Why is our faith so shaky? See, this is a foundational message for every person that's here or watching online because I'm going to keep it real with you this morning. I wish that you had my faith. I wish that you understood what I understand, so I'm going to try to share it with you this morning. Because if you could get a hold of the goodness of God for yourself and it be real, there's nothing in this life that could ever shake you. There's no diagnosis, there's no death, there's no disease, there's no divorce, there's no loss that could take the good Father from you. You become invincible and you become a danger to the devil. 
I wrote an entire book. I figured I'd wear the shirt today called Fight the Good Fight. It's a 40-day devotional. And it's basically a rock'em, sock'em, wake'em up, shake'em up book that says, Hey, you better know God for yourself. Because in this life, you will have trouble. We have a terrible theology of suffering in the church. You have people that are so deceived that they think that anything bad is from the devil and anything good is from God. And that's exactly how you live a deceived life. You think every promotion and every blessing and every paycheck is from the Lord and that could be the enemy drawing you away with greed. You think that everything that, that's negative, oh, it's all the devil. Can I give you just a word of wisdom, please? Please, for the love of God, stop giving the devil so much credit in your life. Yeah. And with all the love in my heart, you're not that important. We do this thing where every bad thing is, the devil is after me. The devil is afflicting me. Listen, just a few weeks ago, I preached on spiritual warfare. Trust me, I believe in this stuff. I know that the wrestle is in the unseen realm, but we've got to be anchored in the character and nature of God that's going to see us through. Lest every leak in your roof or flat tire you give the devil credit for, forget him. I'm going to live for the Lord Jesus. I'm going to serve the gospel of the kingdom all the days of my life. Whether I lose everything. See, listen, if there's anything in your life that you can lose that would cause you to not serve the Lord, therein is your God. We idolize our children, don't we? Today's our son, Daniel Joseph. Today's his third birthday. Happy birthday, buddy. Mommy and Daddy love you very much. Maybe you'll listen to this one day when you're older. But you're not an idol in my life. God gave you to me as a gift, son. Our children are a gift, but they're on loan. They don't belong to us. Psalms tells us that children are what? They're arrows in a quiver. You know what you do with arrows? You fire them out. Some of us want to keep our arrows in our quiver and we want to helicopter mommy and daddy all the day and we want to keep our kids from making mistakes and they never grow up and they never have a sense of responsibility and they never get a job and become mature men and women of God because we're trying to shield them from the world when God has called us to equip them to impact the world. I want my children to make a difference in God's kingdom. When the Apostle Paul writes about weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, I think that's my David and that's my Daniel. My weapons of righteousness that I'm raising up and training up to serve God all the days of their lives. But the enemy will come and whisper to you about who God is and he will tell you lies. He will infiltrate your mind and your thinking and He will cause you to misinterpret and misunderstand the events of your life so that you become tricked and you go after God. See, the thing that goes unspoken about in the church so much is our anger with God. I want to tell you this morning with humility in my heart that if you're here today and you're angry with God, you're in sin. What is this thing in our counseling circles where people forgive God? That, that makes me want to vomit. I know people that if you go to them for counseling, they're going to lead you to forgive God. God doesn't need our forgiveness. 
God is innocent. God is perfect. God does all things well. God sees the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He has all the cards in His hands. Don't misunderstand your life now and betray the One who holds all things in His hand. So God is good. Why? Because God is good. Number two, good is that which is like God. What's that mean? God is the standard of goodness. Here's a great argument for people that don't know the Lord. See, people that are unsaved, they use terms like good and evil, and without God, you actually cannot define those things. Because what our culture calls good now was abhorrent just 50 years ago. There's no real standard of goodness. We're just doing whatever we want. And like the Word of God says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it was evil before the Lord. Number two, good is that which is like God. God is our unchanging standard and source of goodness. If you want to know what good is, goodness is God. It's His character. It's His nature. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. So He's a good Father, a good Shepherd, and a good Spirit, and He's unchanging. See, life will take you through mountains and valleys. It will turn you around corridors, and you will find yourself in different places. And yet all the while, God's goodness remains unchanged. Because His goodness is from everlasting to everlasting. Number three, here's a hard one to get. I am evil. Some of you didn't write it down. (laughs) I want you to say it with me. Ready? I am evil. That's good medicine. Who are you without God? You're evil. The word here for evil in Greek is paneros, and it means wicked and rotten to the core. There isn't anything good about you and I. We are wicked in our motivations. We are malicious in our speech. We are perverted and depraved in our minds. We don't even understand the depths of our own depravity. What is it that blinds the world to the goodness of God? Is it not pride? I just sat next to someone on the plane on the way back from North Carolina. He was a PhD. He's an engineer. He's literally a rocket scientist. And I'm witnessing Christ to this man. Oh, to be trapped in a steel tube with me. (laughs) Nick, do you know anything about that? Come on. (laughs) I was trying to win this guy. Oh, the resistance. I I don't know what it is other than God's grace, but the the tension that starts to ooze out of the human soul over the gospel, when I start to feel it, I'm just like, oh, I'm going to get you. You're going to have to reject Jesus because I'm going to make this presentation so clear. And this guy is a rocket scientist. He's smarter than everybody in this room. He's reading like a quantum physics book and then something about Martians. I don't even know. He wanted to change global warming and climate and all that. It was a fun conversation. But this guy's a PhD rocket scientist and he can't figure out that everything that was made was made by God. And I'm blown away. You know why? Because it's beneath him. Did you know that Jesus has this moment in the Gospel of Matthew where he says, I praise you, Father, for you've hidden these things from the wise and you've revealed them to babies. If you're here in this room and you believe in Jesus, 
in the eyes of the world, you're an idiot. What does the world think? They think we're stupid. But pride blinds you to the goodness of God. It blinds you from seeing that there's a creator and a sustainer of all things. And by the way, before God was a creator, he was a father. This is his eternal nature. He's our eternal father. Jesus is called in Isaiah 9, everlasting father, because he's the father of time. He's the father of eternity. He's the one that God made the worlds through his son, Jesus, the co-creator of all things, Colossians chapter 1. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There is no one like the Lord Jesus. And here is Jesus with all authority and all power, with total clarity about God and humanity. And He says, if you being evil. Don't miss the judgment here. Don't miss the classification. If you then being evil, we are evil. We are rotten. You've got to get this because the depravity of man is the backdrop that the light of the gospel begins to really shine. See, we don't see our need for God and our need for the gospel because we think we're good people. We think we do good things. Why is it that you don't have to teach children (laughs) how to do evil? Anybody, you ever seen any parents like, hey, come here, I'm going to teach you how to take your brother's toy. They just know how because they're selfish because they want what they want and I want it now and I'm going to scream and cry and whine until you give me what I want. Do you know that that little child is inside of all of us? And unless you get that crucified with Jesus Christ, you will grumble and complain and grovel and moan against God all the days of your life and try to call it worship. And try to call it prayer. God is innocent, my friends. The goodness of God remains untouched. Amen. They came to Jesus, the rich young ruler. We often miss this part of the story. It's in Mark 10, 18. They come to him. And the rich young ruler wants to know, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And when he talks to Jesus, he calls Jesus good teacher. Good teacher. What do we have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. No one is good except God. No one is righteous except God. No one can understand and fathom the ways of God. He is perfect in everything that he says and he does. Let's have another moment of clarity and honesty. Can we talk about the will of God for a moment? What is the will of God right now in this moment for my life? You can discern things from the scriptures. There are explicit statements that say this is the will of God. But you have to understand the big picture that we're all working backwards from the fall of mankind. This suffering of this life, this pain. Did you know that we weren't made to die? Have you ever been around people who just lost a loved one? The confusion that grips people in the throes of death. Why are we confused? Because there's something programmed into our DNA that says this isn't supposed to happen. 
So when God made us, His original intention and plan was for perfect unity and harmony and for no one to ever taste death. And yet He warned them, If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Say it with me. You shall surely die. But here we are, and we want to use faith like a lightsaber to try to wipe away all of the judgments and the justice of God. You ain't getting out of death, and neither am I. No one can escape death except the God-man, Jesus Christ. Listen, faith, real faith, is confidence in the character and nature of God. Faith is not something that we wield like a lightsaber to get our own way through our lives. How many immature believers have I seen who try to bind and loose and decree and declare and take authority over every principality and yet their trouble and their struggle still persist because God allows in His wisdom what He could easily prevent in His power. And we all want to be God. We all wish we were God. We all have those moments in our lives where we look at the suffering or the pain of this earth and we think to ourselves, what in the world is going on? But if we were honest, the root of that stuff is, man, if I were God, I would do it differently. And we all need to stand down and back away because we're not God. And because we don't know. And we could never understand or fathom the depths of the riches of who Christ Jesus is. I'm telling you, if you go after God, the enemy will lock arm in arm with you. And he will help you. And he will turn you against your only friend. Am I preaching this morning? The enemy is after the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness. He wants to crush and dismember every single ounce of faith inside of you so that you would become confused and lose heart, so that you would grow weary in doing good. And yet here is the goodness of God that stands as an unshakable foundation that's available if we would repent of our pride and our arrogance and our projections against God. See, we like to look at the suffering of this life and accuse God with it. But can I tell you something? It wasn't the plan and he's going to restore it all. Alvin Plantinga said, if you confuse the middle for the end, you will always be confused. If you confuse the middle, this life and what we're experiencing now for God's final statement, you will live a life of confusion and pain. But the word of God comes to teach us and through the person of the Lord Jesus that our hope is not in this life. My hope is not whether or not my deal or my business works out or things go how I want to. I'm waiting to inherit the promises that many of them are to come. See, I think people lose heart in their Christian journey because we want a reward right now. But God has promised that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. I'm here to tell you much of the reward is in the life to come. And there's no one who goes to inherit all the promises of God and regrets living a life of sacrifice on earth. I tell you something, drinking, gambling, sexuality, let's just solve this right now. Do you honestly think that you're going to get into heaven and wish you had had one more beer on earth? Do you honestly think that you're going to be in the Lord's presence and say, man, I wish I would have spent one more Friday night at a craps or blackjack or blackjack or baccarat table at a casino somewhere? Do you honestly think? 
And yet we do these things and we're addicted to these things and our life is full and we're addicted to our jobs because we don't have a revelation of the goodness of God. Perhaps the distance between us and the Lord is really that we doubt that He's really good. I want to spend time with good people, don't you? Don't you want your life to be surrounded and filled with good people who love God? Well, who's the best of all? Jesus. So why don't we spend more time with Jesus? Is not pride the root of our prayerlessness? It's not busyness. It's not because we don't have time. It's because we don't make time. It's because we would rather do something else. It's the reason why our church services in this nation are constructed the way that they are. Because we have to give people what they want rather than give God what He wants. Somebody say amen. Amen. Number four. God's goodness can be experienced. It's going to turn sweet now. God's goodness can be experienced. Would you put number four up on the screen for me? God's goodness can be experienced. I guess we got them mixed up. Go ahead and put five up there. It's all good. Oh, we're really mixed up now. Just put them all up on the screen and we'll, we'll roll with it. Hallelujah. You're doing a great job. It's probably my fault. Number four, God's goodness transcends our circumstances. God's goodness can be experienced. Here's what I want you to write down. The goodness of God is experiential, not circumstantial. The goodness of God is experiential, not circumstantial. Here's Jesus saying, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more does God the Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Did you know that there's a burning desire in the heart of God the Father to satisfy your life with good things? That's what Psalm 103 says. That He wants to meet your needs. That He cares. It says in Psalm 103 that He's mindful that we're just dust. That our frame is weak. James calls our life a vapor. We're a mist. We're just passing through. And yet here's God and His goodness. And He wants you and I to experience His goodness. He wants you to know His goodness for yourself. Why? Because experiential knowledge is transformational knowledge. If this is just an intellectual exercise to you about how God is good, this won't penetrate your soul. But if you begin to wrestle and grapple and fight for this, you will be forever changed. Because the goodness of God, there's no person that's ever encountered the goodness of God and remained the same. How has God been good to you in your life? See, we cry out for the glory of God here in the Spirit-filled church and we fail to realize that the glory of God is the goodness of God. The glory of God is the goodness of God. How do I know? Exodus 33, Moses is on the mountain and he says to God, I pray thee, show me your glory. What does God do? He says, I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass before you. And the Hebrew there for before means I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass through you. I'm going to let my goodness touch you, Moses. 
And the goodness of God touches Moses and his face begins to shine. And he comes down from the mountain and he needs a veil because he's been in the goodness. He's been in the glory of God. You can tell people that spend time with Jesus. You can tell when people really have a real rock solid walk with God because it's something that you can't fake and you can't fabricate. We have a lot of performers in the church today. We have a lot of hireling pastors that are doing what they do because if you took their paycheck away they wouldn't dare show up. It's just a job and just a career to them. But can I tell you, when you've been touched by the goodness of God, it's a real calling and a real honor and a real privilege to serve the Lord and meet the needs of His church. When you don't know the goodness of God, all you're left with is performance. Do something for God. Do more for God. I hope God's watching. I hear people pray, Lord, Lord, hear my prayer. Oh, well, unless there's something in your life that's unconfessed, God's listening to you. You're his son. You're his daughter. This is Jesus saying, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. It's our son's third birthday. We got him a whole lot of gifts because we love him a lot. And we're evil. So if I'm evil and instinctively and innately I know how to do good for my son, how much more God my father knows how to give good gifts and he's not limited, he's not sinful, he's totally righteous and fair and just in everything that he does oh this is an invitation into the goodness of God your father I dare you to explore and discover the how much more of God because how much more is radiating out of the father's heart and inviting you and I to experience and encounter him in a real way that's transformational you cannot experience the goodness of God and not weep If you're a believer and your eyes are going dry, it's because your heart is going dry. David Ravenhill said dry eyes are accompanied by a dry heart. His father Leonard Ravenhill said similar things. You can't experience the goodness of God and not be touched. When was the last time you wept in the presence of God? and you felt His goodness, and you knew His nearness, and you were experiencing Him in a way that's real and present and tangible. God's not a theory. He's the ultimate reality. He's our very best friend, and He draws near to us when we have a broken heart. I thank so many of you that reached out to us, that sent us all kinds of texts and phone calls and voicemails about the news about my dad. Most of you I texted back and I shared some things and then I finished with, God is good and he is near. That's what I told hundreds of people. Dozens of you in this room, God is good and he is near. And I mean that. I mean that because there's something inside of me that cannot be moved by the circumstances of this life because it's the foundation of God's goodness upon my soul. But if you don't have that and you go through trial and you begin to struggle and challenges come your way, you become vulnerable to temptation. And perhaps the greatest temptation of all is to accuse God and to doubt His goodness. Where was the goodness of God in the Uvalde school shootings when 19 children were killed? When two 
of the teachers were killed, God's goodness was right there. And can I tell you something? If you've ever spent time around people that have experienced tragedy and loss, if you've ever counseled or befriended a woman who was raped or who was abused, can I tell you something? You thank God for hell. You thank God for hell. Why? Because it's the goodness of God that upholds His justice and says every evildoer will pay. They're not getting away with anything. No one in this life is going... It looks like, oh, they got away with it. No, trust me. There's a just Jesus who's ruling the nations, who's a righteous and good God, and He's going to take care of every single person. That's the goodness of God. Oh, but we have this lovey-dovey pillow fight thing about God's goodness. No, God is ferociously good. He's tenderly good. He's mercifully good. It's His good pleasure to pour out His wrath on those who hate Him and reject His Son. That's what our Bible says. Some of you look a little lost. We need a better theology of suffering. And we need to understand the realities of God's justice and God's righteousness. Hell doesn't offend me. Hell makes me thankful that God is a just God. If we believe that, we'd preach hell more. You know why you don't hear about hell and repentance? Because you have people that hold microphones like this that are more afraid of people than they are of God. I got delivered from my fear of man a long time ago. I want to preach God's word and represent God rightly. So God's goodness can be experienced, but His goodness transcends our circumstances. This up here says God's goodness makes Him forever trustworthy. (laughs) If God's not good, why would you trust Him? If God isn't faithful, why would you spend time with Him? The enemy has been playing with people's minds for far too long. And it's time to break up with the devil and get a new phone number. And tell him, don't call me back. We're not talking about this. You cannot invite the accuser of the brethren, the one who hates God, into the room in your heart and allow him to teach you about God. You let the Lord Jesus, who is revealed in the scriptures, teach you and counsel you about who God is. Amen? Lastly, God's goodness pursues us relentlessly. David concludes his very famous psalm, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He finishes by saying, Your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to encourage you this morning that the goodness of God is tracking you down right now. That the goodness and the mercy of God is pursuing you because God is faithful. Taylor's going to get up here and play in a second, but I want to have Ben and Nick, if you would, step up here, please. Hold on just a second. Here's two filters. This is an air filter for those of you that don't know. (laughs) 
Honey, is that what you're always doing? <laughs> Here's a clean filter. Here's a filter that I just took out. This is how you view God and how you interpret life. Right now, if you don't know the goodness of God for yourself, this is you. You're going to go through suffering and trial and loss. You know why? Because you're bound to this earth. And God said, you shall surely die. You're going to go through it. Jesus promised in this life you will have trouble. But you know what? If you know the goodness of God, you can go through unadulterated. Because the goodness of God begins to purify your filter. Because you begin to see even the secondary gain and all the benefits that happen. You begin to understand, like I said, that God allows in His wisdom what He could easily prevent in His power. So suffering is an invitation for us to trust God. And suffering sorts out the wannabes. There are people that want to be Christians until negativity or struggle touches their life and then they fall away and they lose heart. But they were in it for the benefits rather than for the love of Jesus. But when you experience God's goodness, there's a purity. You begin to interpret your life and breathe in your life through a pure and unadulterated filter. Can I tell you something? This is my walk with God and cancer ain't coming through here. I won't listen to the devil for five seconds. I've already told him to shut up 30 times before I preach this message. Because God is good. Because God is good. Because the goodness of God is not circumstantial. Because I'm not basing the goodness of God on what happens to me in this life. I'm basing the goodness of God on His Word and on all the promises that are to come. Where heaven and earth pass away, we get a new heaven. And in that day, Jesus said, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no mourning or crying or pain anymore. All of this life begins to fade. And the purity and the holiness and the beauty and the majesty of who God is and His goodness begins to fill our hearts and our minds. I'm telling you, heaven is going to be a learning experience. We're going to be fascinated and wowed over and over and over and over and over again in heaven. See, I listen to people talk about heaven and many times it sounds like just a better version of earth without the suffering. <laughs> no, 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 no. Heaven is exceedingly abundantly far beyond anything that we could imagine to be with God. It says about the new Jerusalem at the end of our Bible in Revelation 21 and 22. It says the Lamb of God will illuminate the city. We won't even need any light. We won't need any of these because the Lamb is illuminated and He's... What does that mean? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Because it's going to be the goodness of God that's radiating and illuminating everything. I want to invite you this morning. Thank you, brothers. You can sit down. I want to invite you out of the accusation room this morning that if you've been angry with God about your own life, about the state of this nation, about something that you've been through, I want to invite you this morning to come and change the filter. That's what the Lord said to me this morning. He said, tell my people to change their filter. Come up here and repent to the Lord and seek the Lord and ask God for an encounter of His goodness that begins to wipe away all the pain, that begins to wash away all the shame, that begins to deal with all the bitterness and the disappointment 
and the pain that you've endured because this life is not all there is. Jesus promised us eternal life. The Lord Jesus is the Prince of life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to His perfect Father except through Him. I want to invite you this morning. And if you're here and you're with me, would you just go ahead and stand? And we're going to pray. And if you feel led of the Lord, go ahead and come forward now. Come and change your filter. Come and receive the goodness of God. His goodness is to be experienced. His goodness is available for all His children today. God is good because God is good. Father, we cry out to You this morning and we ask You, Lord, for an outpouring of Your goodness and Your grace. Lord, we shed every lie that we've heard about You and we invite You, Lord, into those broken places. God, we choose to forgive this morning. We choose to let it go. I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about an hour ago about unconfessed sexual sin, but also undisclosed sexual abuse. There are some people here watching online that you've been sexually abused in your life and it's undisclosed. Very few or nobody knows about it and that distorts your filter. And I want you to know that there's healing that's available today in the goodness of God because God is a good Father and God is going to deal with your abusers, but you leave them to Him. You let them go and you live a life of holiness and purity and freedom where you can allow Him to work upon the deep places of your heart. I don't normally push, but I feel like there's more people. There's more people that need an experience with the goodness of God here. There's nothing special about this carpet squares down here. There's nothing underneath it, but it's the willingness. It's the humility to come down here and to repent and to ask God for His goodness. Ask Him for an experience of His kindness. God is innocent, my friends. God's never done anything wrong and His next mistake would be His first one. Father, we ask You right now for an experience of Your goodness. Lord, we declare that You are good, that You are faithful, that Your loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. Lord, I thank You that You're a trustworthy Father.